And welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Trip Mitchell, along with longtime Dean of the Newsmen in now, Salt Lake City. Dick Norris is really that, so I'd be the assistant dean. Okay, the so, assistant yes, dean. Yeah. You're in charge of discipline. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Dean not, Wormer. Not yeah. <laughs> Randall uh, Carlisle. And this show that we do a couple times a month is called Odyssey House Journals, easy for me to say. It's available as a podcast and as a TV show. And Since you're talking about that, let's all do a shout out. I want you to say, hello, Russia. Hello, Hello Russia. Russia. Hello, Dalsfedantia. Hello, France. Wow, very nice. Hello, France. Hello, How France. are we getting listeners in? The, I, the neat thing about podcasts is you can get analytics on where they're watched. And we actually, and I don't know why somebody from Russia or France or Australia or New Zealand would be watching these podcasts, but they are. So if you're the one person in Russia watching this while you're drinking some vodka, <laughs> hi. Hello. Yeah. I thought you were joking about saying no, hello no, to Russia. I, I thought, no, okay, we, well. We were looking at <laughs> you know, when you're a guest on a show, you do what the host says. So this is an right? internationally Recent known Chris, show. Thought, well, what yeah, and this is not vodka, by the way, no. for, for those of you. Who, yes. And it's like one in the afternoon, yeah. right? <laughs> on a Tuesday. But <laughs> the purpose of our show Tuesday. is to talk about addiction in the state of Utah and introduce you to some great people who are working to help you out or your neighbor, family member, whoever. It is something that is a big part of the community, and uh, we're here to help. All of us who work on the show have been hit by the addiction bug, mm-hmm. and we do this as kind of volunteer to give something back to the recovery community, and very happy to do it. No pay, right? I haven't. I haven't gotten a check yet. I don't. If, well, since I'm the one in Russia, if you'd like to send a few rubles over, we could we could use them. We we could, and again, there's so many wonderful people here, and we're going to put a number up at the bottom of the screen on the TV show, and then Randall's going to read it to you in his big boss voice, and that number is Odyssey House, and they have some wonderful people there who are glad to help. They'll refer you to some other people. If you've got money issues, there's plenty of recovery centers that can help you that don't charge a dime up to $30,000 a month and everything in between, but there are a lot of wonderful people there to help. Right. 801-322-3222. Okay. One more time. 801-322-3222. Be sure to call in wonderful people at Odyssey House. And who is this lovely lady? I am so excited to have her as a guest, Mindy Vincent, and I would say... The Mindy Vincent? The Mindy Vincent. How did you get her? Well, I had to beg and plead and (laughs) offer her a bottle of water. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'd call her the queen of harm reduction in the state of Utah. Is that fair? I like that. Queen I'm a Leo. I like Queen. That's a okay. good one. And, yeah. and this <laughs> this is really interesting because I've been at several meetings with her where I got to know her, and she maybe you can explain harm reduction because for somebody who the three of us are recovering alcoholics, mm-hmm. uh, how what do you mean by harm reduction? Explain it. So harm reduction is. It's a set of strategies and interventions. The thing that people get wrong about it the most is that it's a spectrum. So harm reduction includes abstinence. So all of you are practicing harm reduction. You're reducing the most harm you can because you're abstinent altogether, right? Right. So that's on this end of the spectrum. And over here, when we're talking about substance use, there's chaotic use. And somewhere around there is, you know, managed or safer use and then managed use. And there's a whole bunch of things in between. But harm reduction is truly just about 
meeting people where they're at but not leaving them there, keeping people from dying, and preventing as many harms as we can, both physically and socially and spiritually and any other way that are associated with the use of substances. And there is a harm reduction coalition. Yes. Well, there's a national one called the Harm Reduction Coalition, and we love them. And then we have the Utah Harm Reduction Coalition, which is our organization here. And the things you do? We do syringe exchange, and we have harm reduction-based outpatient treatment. So what that means, that when I say that to people, they say, oh, so everybody's using? And it's like, no, everybody's not using. Most people, when they come to treatment, as you know, They're not like, you know, I've been addicted to heroin for the last 12 years, but I'd like to still be able to shoot it on the weekends. Like, that is not what people say. Most people are trying to shoot for abstinence, right? But we just don't require that. And we do not require abstinence before people can engage in treatment. I truly believe that if I help people treat the root cause of their addiction, the things that they're using over, and help them build protective factors, reduce risk factors, I believe that the substance use will start to take care of itself. And the reality is you can't tell, I mean, I speak for myself as an alcoholic, if somebody told me not to drink, I drank more. Mm-hmm. And you can't tell, <laughs> you know, you can't tell, you can't tell an addict, well, don't do that. Don't, don't put that needle in your arm ever yeah. again, right? Yeah. Because unless they're ready, people are their own primary agents of change. So unless they're ready for a variety of reasons, right? Like it, the stars align and that's when people decide to get sober. And But people can't even make those choices ever if they're dead and not everybody needs abstinence or total sobriety some people some people that have cocaine problems can drink like normal people perhaps you know and some perhaps not like but all people need to decide for themselves and we're here to support people in whatever path they choose and and whatever that looks like and what you just said makes so much sense because people all want to get better yeah, I yeah. believe that too. People want to get better, and you wake Some up. People don't believe that. <laughs> and being around alcohol for all my life, there are times when you go, "Boy, I wish I could do something." And and like all of us here working on this TV show, there comes a day when you make that determination. Right. And God bless, I'll never touch another drop the rest of my life. But for a lot of people, they don't want to make that call. Yeah. So for you to help them out. To get a little bit better. So I'll use a crazy analogy in NASCAR. Okay. You start out with a car that is super fast. Yeah. And as a race goes on, you get slower. Oh, no. But it's incrementally slower. Okay. So the, the car that's leading is the one that gets slower the slowest. Okay. And this is kind of crazy. Yeah. But in life sometimes, if you can help people make a little difference, yes. it doesn't have to be a lot. And for a lot of people... The idea that they're going to give up something for the rest of their life is so daunting. Mm -hmm. But to come in and talk to someone and maybe do a little less something that's bad for you, incrementally, if you can get better just a little bit every day, that's something that can eventually lead. Then you get in a very good mind situation. You're happier. Some of the other challenges aren't there. Maybe you can make the ultimate great decision for someone on drugs or alcohol to stop. Yeah. And maybe for some people... They don't ever even need to come to that place because people can use substances too in a normal way where we're not, you know, I, I, I haven't met many people who use heroin or cocaine or something in a normal way, right? <laughs> but like people do use cannabis in a normal way. People do use alcohol in a normal way. And most people return to normalcy after struggling with addiction. And we don't talk about that and we don't allow for that kind of paradigm in our current recovery, you know, because that, that's what happened to me. Like it didn't ever, I wasn't allowed to recover. 
Like, I'm not allowed to ever be recovered. I always have to be recovering, and that's not my truth. My truth is that I'm recovered. You know, so that's another thing. And that a lot of people watching this show as well. in, in recovery will have a yeah. challenge with that. Absolutely. So. Good for them. Good thing I'm not telling their story and I'm telling mine. You know, <laughs> congratulations to you. You know, because I respect and, and support people's truth, whatever that is. You know, and if your truth is that you can never touch any substance again for the rest of your life, I respect that totally. That used to be my truth too. But I did the work and I've healed and I don't, those are not my coping skills anymore. I don't need to escape from my life anymore, and so I don't find myself needing to abuse drugs and alcohol anymore. Randall, you're booking. So we, Inside Secret, we do two shows in a day when we tape. You've got the secret two, is out. No. <laughs> two of the most dynamic women today. Oh, what? Who's yeah. before me? Yeah. I missed it. Say. Uh, Dang it. I want to see it. I'm going to watch it. You will. But see, it, she, she, I love dynamic women. See, Mindy... Shocked me. Uh, we go to. Uh, I shocked you. No. <laughs> my my jaw was sort of dropping when I heard you tell the story, and then I thought, well, that sort of makes sense. It just doesn't work for me. Right. But she at a we go to a, something called the Utah Syringe Exchange Network uh, meeting once a month, and she spoke at that meeting and brought up the whole concept of AA and abstinence. Maybe sh- sh- share what you said which is why my jaw dropped, okay? Well, I can only say what like comes to me now, and I wonder if it's the you same thing. You were speaking thing. about yourself, and AA yes. okay. and abstinence That's and where I was going to go, so thank goodness okay. it's the yeah. same thing. No. But, well, okay, so we decided to start Rebel Recovery um, at UHRC. Rebel Recovery as Rebel opposed recovery. to Alcoholics Anonymous, okay? Yes, so. or just another pathway, right? Okay. So. Um, I found for myself, so my story is, is, you know, I'm a meth addict and I've abused like, well, every substance I've ever come in contact with, right? Like that's what I did. I started using drugs when I was very young. Yep. Yep. I was a real wild one. How old were you when you started? 12 when I started using. So I was 12. I had my first drink when I was 10, but like, I mean, I was shooting and cooking meth by the time I was 15. So, and that was just like my life. And that was what I thought I'd always be, go in and out of prison. Yeah, (laughs) like I thought that's just what my life is, right? Um, But then life happens, addiction progresses, like natural consequences happen. I had a son and I couldn't be the mom I wanted to be, you know? So then I enter into recovery, right? Well, plus I break the law a lot when I'm using drugs. And so actually the Salt Lake County sheriffs tend to help me get my sobriety (laughs) dates. They always do actually. And so I went into drug court and that's where my, and I went to the Haven, I went to the House of Hope. So like that's where my recovery journey began. And at, in the beginning, like there was no way I could hold on to any substances. I was a hot mess, you know, and I had no other coping skills. You know, what else was I supposed to do? I had, I had factors in my life like being homeless, being separated from my son, being involved in the criminal justice system, not having any way to get out, being poor, not having transportation. So I don't really know how we expect people to just pull it together and just stop using in those kind of circumstances anyway. But um, luckily for me, I was given some opportunities. I I recovered when I was around five years sober. I knew in my heart of hearts like I was recovered, that I was like, that I was healed. That's, you know, to me, it's like I was healed. I was like, wow, like I could drink like a normal person. I thought... (gasps) I had better not, you know, because the big book told me and everybody told me, do you want to go back where you came from? Of course I don't. You know, and like I book, shoot meth with toilet water. The big book is the book from Alcoholics Anonymous. Correct. Which those of us in the program read and are pretty faithful right. to. Absolutely. So you have a little different look at things. 
Well, yes, but I, I did get sober through AA, you know, so I've worked the steps a million times. I spoke all over the place for Alcoholics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous. Like, I started a lot of the Cocaine Anonymous stuff that goes on here in the state. Like, I wholeheartedly believe in the 12 steps. They're a part of who I am, right? But, so anyway, so I know at this point, like, I'm recovered, I'm healed, but I don't want to go back where I came from. So I get a new sponsor. I do 90 and 90. I do service work. I run Recovering the Rockies for the next four years, you know, because nobody wants to go back where they came from. So at the end of the next four years, I still know that I'm recovered, you know, and I'm like, and it was like such a, it was so difficult for me because I felt stuck in a place that I no longer belonged. And my truth had changed. And I was a person who swore my truth would never change. I said the same words that just came out of your mouth. That's good for you. That's never going to be my truth. Right. You know, my truth changed. I recovered. And I couldn't tell that to anybody. You know, and that like. Especially it's not at an AA meeting. Yes. Like, and it's no. made me tear because people don't understand how lonely that is. You know, like how in recovery I had nobody I could turn to and everybody would turn their back on me. And it felt so painful to stay stuck. But I knew that if I was honest that everybody would cut me out of their lives. And eventually one day it became that it was too painful to stay stuck and I was going to Oregon and they have legal cannabis there and there was no way I was missing that like I waited for legal cannabis all my life so I got stoned and guess what happened nothing and then I had a beer and guess what and not like oh I just started progressing that's not what happened I had a beer and nothing happened and here we are three years later and three and a half years later I still just drink, like, on occasion, but I knew the day that I took that drink that I was going to have to start something for people like me who recovered and returned to normalcy because the statistics and the truth is is that most people do. But in the year and a half that it took me to come out of the closet about drinking, because that was not a decision I made lightly, and even after making that decision, I knew that day that I had now cut out all of my sober support and I didn't have my recovery circles anymore. I'm no longer welcome in an AA meeting. I can't go there and go pick up a chip. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to do that. And I used to have nightmares about that too. I used to have nightmares about that before I ever took a drink. But anyway, yeah. So I knew I had to start something that would allow people to recover entirely. And I found that when I came out of the closet about drinking, that all sorts of people reached out to me and said, guess what? I have an occasional drink too, and I have to hide it from everybody. I'd be at a concert, and I'd be like, gosh, I'd like to have a drink, but what if I see someone? And I had to act sneakier and more paranoid and scared in re- like in recovery over having a drink as a healed person than I ever did while shooting meth in my neck with toilet water, and that is ridiculous, and that's not fair. We can't do that to people, you know, and there were very few people in the program who still loved me and my truth. Most of them have stopped. They don't hang out with me anymore. Not that they don't love me, but they're like, oh, well, she's gone back out. And if we think that where my life is at today is going back out, I hope everybody gets where I'm at because I am doing pretty well in life. Yeah, you are. And, and, and it's <laughs> I a, work very hard. It's an amazing story. And I, and, I, you know, and I think that when I heard it, okay, my alcoholic brain says, hmm. Maybe I could do the same thing because we'd all like to drink normally, uh, but I know that I can't, you know. Yeah, and I did the same thing for about five seconds. I was contemplating that, and then I go, Thank no. God, if she can do it, look at her. You know? <laughs> and our point of putting... Of do putting you have to get tattoos in order to yes. drink responsibly? Yes. <laughs> yes. No. Okay. No. <laughs> Just and kidding. I, you know, and we should say that, you know, that's your story, and it works yes. for you. 
And it it wouldn't work for me. It might work for somebody out there who's watching, but that's not a green light to go out and get wrecked again because right. she did it. You well, know. and if you're well, and I wouldn't <clears throat> say I'm getting wrecked, but then also if you're in a place where what I say when I say oh I've returned to normalcy and somebody's like green light, I'm going to go destroy my life. Well, you had some other problems and things for making me your scapegoat, but that is not. That's, that's not how this whole thing comes about. And the truth is, is that most people do return to normalcy. You know, and I'm not advocating for people to ever do that. Like, your truth is yours. My truth is mine. Your experience dictates your truth. And my experience dictates mine. And I support whatever path people take. However, it doesn't mean that, you know, I am less than or that, like, my life has, is falling apart or is about to go off the rails because I can consume alcohol like a normal person. Like... Just because you're addicted to one substance doesn't mean you're addicted to all of them. So rebel recovery does what? I compare that to AA. I mean, so you have meetings and you... Right. What do you do? Well, we don't have the preamble or the basket. Okay. But I was going to make a joke about the lotion in the basket, but I I I just am crazy that way. Anyway, we don't have those things, but it's just a meeting where people can come and we share just like in an AA meeting. You know, you can share and get support and we allow for all pathways to recovery, including abstinence. And it's just a place where people can be safe to so share Trip their and truth. I could get in. Yeah. Even okay. You guys are in like Flynn. Okay. Because I still we, love we Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, where, is, where are the meetings held? They are on Saturdays at 630 at the UHRC Outpatient Building, which is on 91 East Fort Union in Midvale. Okay. Right behind where the old Hooters used to be. People seem to all know where the Hooters was. <laughs> well, I actually, you know, it's Hooters. What's that? <laughs> and some people be like, yeah, but it's right by the Shane Company. I'm like, nobody cares. Yeah, right. <laughs> they care about the Hooters. It was right I went in and got drunk, and then I thought about the girl I want to marry so, and bought a ring. Right? <laughs> well, yeah. And then it became a song, and Ellen Jackson sang it. I got lost in Prague last summer. Oh, you did? Yeah, and literally got stuck on a one-way street in a narrow in front of Hooters in Prague, and that's when I called the hotel and they sent a guy out. They, they mentioned exactly that, by the was. way, exactly. Yeah, Hooters was close, so it's wow. so you're right off seventy two hundred South and yep. State. Yeah. So I recognize the Hooters. Yep. I also had, and the Shane Company. I also had a my suburban blew up in front of Hooters in Vegas. What is with you and Hooters? I don't know, but it's it, bad oh, luck for you. I guess. Well, I wow. Anyway, so those are my. I've never been in a Hooters, but I've had my truck blow up. But let's talk about your meetings. A sign. We we digressed, which is what I do. That's what I do too. So, so let's digress on the subject. I, I just found you know, the reason I wanted her on this podcast is first of all, you're a very dynamic speaker. And, oh, and you, thanks, you, but the flips negative side of that is after I heard you speak at that meeting, I did seriously think, could I, could I ever drink again? Uh, which I would say is, and, and it's not that's not what you're preaching. And I think we made that perfectly clear here. Yeah. But I wish I could be like you. Yeah. Maybe I could do meth and not, then not drink. I mean, since I there's yeah. Well, I yeah. don't know. I don't know why <laughs> people should start doing hard drugs yeah. later in life, yeah. right? But like. Typically, people that return to normalcy with alcohol, are, alcohol is usually not their primary substance of choice. Right. You know, like, managed drinking for an alcoholic is harder than regular <laughs> drinking for somebody who used to just shoot heroin. Not that, like, not just shoot heroin, right? But, like, <laughs> their drug of choice was heroin. That's not the same as, like, drinking alcohol. Many people who use drugs, who use hard drugs, they don't drink alcohol 
And a lot of them don't smoke weed either, even though people are like, oh, cannabis blog. Don't get me started on well, that one. Well, now, one of, the, one of the people I work with in, in my office who was a heroin, a heroin addict doesn't drink because she says she's afraid that because it lowers your inhibitions when mm-hmm. you drink that she will then think about using heroin. And it's not that she's going to start drinking every day, but, but it could, you know, yeah. it's really? a slippery slope. Well, it could be. It it's could not be, but those are mainly beliefs of self-preservation, which again I respect a hundred percent. Like, who wants to go back where they came from? You know, those of us who came crawling in the rooms, like, I think none of us want to go back where we came from, right? No, well, I agree. And so some yeah. people are like, and for a long time I was like, oh my gosh, because when you get really drunk, the thing that fixes being really drunk is using meth, right? So like for a Coke meth addict, yeah. right? Coke is useless, but like. For people like me, I'm like, if I get drunk, I could use meth, right? But today, I'm just not that person. Like, you know how it talks about in the big book how um, if we could learn to control or enjoy our drinking, but we only get to do one or the other, right? And I was like, yep, that's true. If I'm controlling my drink, I'm never enjoying it. Guess what? Today, I only enjoy drinking if I'm controlling it, which is a button I never had before. But it's crazy to me that people would say that the brain, the most sophisticated thing in the whole universe, couldn't recover from addiction that we couldn't make new pathways and learn new coping skills because drug addiction is a coping skill drinking it's coping skill you know why couldn't the brain heal the brain's pretty cool and we don't even really know that much about it so it's pretty locked this is i never thought light. this show was going in this direction because uh, that's what, this now is, he's kicking I, me off i, I knew <laughs> that's why i invited her no no I but this is so counterintuitive to everything yes, you, it is. you learn in and that's why this is a tremendous conversation to have. Now, I think the majority of people will disagree with you. That, That's okay. I mean, vast majority. Yeah. But it's interesting to look at things from another perspective. Yeah. Well, and there is a lot of science behind it. Like, these aren't my ideas. You know, you could look at Dr. Carl Hart's work, who's the head of neuroscience at Columbia University. You could refer to the... Yeah, but that's... All the many work, all the, the work that's been done out of Harvard Addiction Centers. Like, I mean, those are some pretty prestigious universities that have done some really significant research. They're not bad. They're not... the learning development UNLV, model of addiction. <laughs> well, <laughs> anything that's in Vegas is better. Yeah, exactly. When anything it comes to addiction Vegas, studies, we uh, leave right? the... Leave the... Sin studies is what I'd call them, sir. Our medical school is one of the best in Southern Nevada, I'll guarantee you. What is our Russian viewer going to think of all this? This is He's thinking, I've been drinking vodka since I was eight. No, I'm just <laughs> You know, it's interesting. Just kidding. About, I don't know if you did that. About alcohol, and this goes back to my days at UNLV, but we had, at the football team, we had the University of Wisconsin come in, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and they drank us out of beer at yeah. the stadium twice. And you always say, the, they love to drink in Wisconsin, but as it turns out, people love to drink anywhere. Yeah. It is kind of a universal sure. thing. It makes whatever you can take to feel better. When you talk to people, do you feel that they have the same addiction? Is the addiction to alcohol as strong? Is it, in your opinion, a disease? Comparatively to an addiction to meth and some other drugs, which is stronger? Or is that something you can't? Oh, I think that people ever people have their like certain drugs of choice or whatever, and I think people's addictions are just as strong. Because it's not about the substance, and it talks about this in the big book too. It's not about the substance. It's about what you're trying to medicate on the inside. It's about people trying to silence the voices. It's about people trying to make the pain and the trauma just stop for just a minute, you know? It's about people just mm-hmm. trying to live with their circumstances being homeless and they've got their kids taken away from them people are like well if you loved them enough you'd get sober if you did this and you'd get sober well if I knew how to do that I would have done that a long time ago you know and then we wonder why as we continue to punish people why they are just getting worse and worse you know 
And it's about trying to cope with all those things while still never feeling like you're good enough because you just can't do anything right. Hmm. So how does someone get a hold of you? How does someone... They could contact us through Facebook. We have a Utah Harm Reduction page, and then we have the Rebel Recovery page and Syringe Watch. So if you see syringes out in your community and you need them cleaned up, we will go out there and clean them up. Um, and then they can contact us at our office, which is 801-569-1995. You have a business card with you? Lee I will do. Put the, Lee will put that Lee up will on, put the that on the screen. Okay. okay. Where is your office at? In Midvale, behind the Hooters. Remember? Oh, that's your office. You should be breaking <clears throat> down there any No, no, no. I, didn't, <laughs> I thought you just had meetings there, but you actually No, haven't. that's where our outpatient is, too. Fantastic. Yeah. And so you do this full-time. Yes. Uh, you appear to be a force of nature. Thank you. And yes. the queen of harm reduction. I mean, <laughs> have you ever been called that before? No, but I oh, love it. Okay. Like, All right. The little ego in me is like, oh, that's there good. Go. That's I'm good. I'm a queen now. No. But, <laughs> Which to, we all know that's not helpful. <laughs> To be able to go to work and make a difference in people's lives. Oh. That is... A she's, she's making a huge difference. And so what you don't understand is... Which is a lot crying. most days. Well, the whole concept of harm reduction, they're dealing... Like when, when they do a syringe exchange, I mean, they're, they're open to people. They're not judging people, uh, but they're helping people to get clean needles because they're accepting the fact that these people do apparently want to continue using needles at that point. But at the same time, handing out literature uh, if the people are interested in how they can get treatment if they want by meeting them at, at, at where they are, as opposed sure. to, I, I mean, it, it's... Uh, it's an incremental thing, but you're helping. It, and yeah. you, you would be a great messenger. She is a great messenger. Why do you think she's in charge of this? Good point. <laughs> Why do you think I asked her to be on the podcast? <laughs> you are. Thir- this is our 30th show, and you've gone... I it's booked, the 30th show? How yes. exciting. I, I and booked, we have the queen on. Yes. <laughs> I booked one guest. Too bad we don't have a tiara here. I don't know. Yeah, I you know, should have so, brought yeah, one. Yeah. Well, you, yours is out in your car, you said. <laughs> I have one from turning 40 last year. I, I put that on my head. Well, thank you so much for coming Thanks on. Thanks for having me. This Can't has been she? a very quick half hour. And you know yes. what? Even though you're doing all the bad stuff you are, I'll still be your friend. Okay? Thank you, Randall. Right. And hopefully I'll keep shocking you, <laughs> and in a good way. Mindy's phone number is at the bottom of the screen, and also throughout the show we've got the number for Odyssey House. So, Randall, one more time. The phone number, I please. forgot. I just had a drink. No, <laughs> it's 801-322-3222. So call that number. If you've got a question for Mindy, call her number. But again, if you need some help, they're wonderful people here in the state of Utah. Take advantage of it. Call someone. It's When you've got a problem and you tell someone else, then it becomes much easier. And Absolutely. thank you, my dear. Thank and we'll you. see you next time. Take care.